So, is there anyone here tonight consciously and willfully disobeying God? I forgot. Um, so, that's a great way to, end a ser- uh, to begin a sermon, right? I'll just repeat the question. Is there anyone here consciously and willfully disobeying Jesus Christ right now and you know it. You know what He's told you to do, but you're not doing it. You've decided, maybe, that you think you know better how to run your life. Well, I'm an old man, so I can tell you from experience, that's a huge mistake. You don't know better how to run your life than the one who created you and redeemed you. It could be 101 things. It it doesn't really matter how big or how small it is. Do you know that God has called you to do a thing, to follow Him in obedience, but you're not doing it. You're just not doing it. Yeah, it's lunacy, it's insanity, but this is what we call sin. That we would ignore the commands and overtures of the One who made us. You know, you've heard the old saying, what is the enemy of the best? You know, what's the enemy of the best? The good. You know, that's a pretty wise saying, (laughs) right? Um, What Jesus is calling you to do is the best. Now, if you're not convinced of that, you're certainly not a Christian. And I'd be happy to talk to you more deeply about that. But you know what Jesus is calling you to do is the best. It can only be the best. He wired your heart. He knows what's going to fill it up. But some of you have settled for the good. You've settled for the good. And men praise you for the good. And people affirm you in the good. You know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what men say, does it? It doesn't matter one whit what men say. It only matters what God has to say. So you may be doing a good thing in your life, but what what I want to talk to you tonight about is are you doing the best thing? Are you walking with Jesus Christ? Without reservation. No qualification. I'm His. I'm His. I'm all His. Whatever He says, you know the metaphor I like to use is have open hands with God. Open hands with God. I know it's true. I've been a Christian for a while. I know it's possible to have open hands with God in one area, but have closed fists with Him in another. And what Jesus is going to talk to us tonight about from John 21, do you love Me? And if you love Me, follow Me. 
Only lovers of Jesus follow Him. Now, we understand pseudo-Christianity. We understand there's a lot of religion going on in the name of Christianity. But biblical Christianity is, do you love me? And will you follow me? I mean, I, I could be in sin right now preaching. You say, Jim, how's that possible? Well, what if God called me to the Sudan? And I'm preaching in Milano because it's a cushier gig. And I like hanging out with, you know, Shibomi. I mean, I could be sinning in the most grievous manner right now because I'm here preaching when God has called me to the Sudan. Do you understand my point? This is a good thing. But if He's called me to the Sudan, it's sin. It's just unvarnished sin. You may remember the 1 Samuel 15 account where King Saul kind of obeyed God. Do you remember that? This fractional obedience. <laughs> fractional obedience. God hates fractional obedience. You remember what happened to Saul? He lost his kingdom. He was engaging in fractional obedience. He improvised. He only half obeyed. I remember my spiritual mentor saying one time in a sermon, he said, God is as interested in your partial obedience as your spouse is in your partial faithfulness. What is 99% faithfulness? What is that? Unfaithfulness. Am I talking about perfection? I'm not talking about perfection. You're a sinner and so am I. And I'll sin until the day I die. I'm talking about obedience. I'm talking about love. I'm talking about doing what you've been redeemed to do, which is to follow Christ. Again, without qualification, without reservation. I know you know what the word um, rationalize to, to rationalize. I know you know what this word. I know you know the word to rationalize. I know you know this word, right? And I know you know how to do it. Right? You know how to rationalize. We all know how to rationalize. We're all quite gifted in this area. We all have the gift of rationalization. I looked it up. To devise self-satisfying but incorrect reasons for my behavior. <laughs> okay? You know how to do that. I know how to do that. Right? To justify oneself, it's, it's his oldest sin. Adam justified himself by blaming whom? His wife. And Eve blamed, oh, the serpent. Ultimately, it was God's fault. I was just looking at this chapter this week. What did Adam say? It was the woman you gave me. This would have never happened if you hadn't given me this woman. <laughs> oh, mankind loves to blame God for everything. We just love to do it. I've never met a human being yet who's not highly skilled at devising self-satisfying but incorrect reasons for their behavior. I looked up a few synonyms here. This is what happens. Okay, I'm, I'm going Okay, this is you and God right here. All right? You be honest with Him right now. I looked up some synonyms for rationalization. Is this what you do with God's Word? Is this what you do with it? I reduce it. I decrease it. I downsize it. I cut back on it. I lessen it. I diminish it. I slim it down. Uh, 
Yeah, we're all guilty. And I'm saying not only is that wrong, it's stupid. Why is it stupid? Well, you've already heard me say it. Why is it stupid? Because you lose. God doesn't lose. You lose. When you don't obey God, you lose. God doesn't lose. He's going to get His work done. He'll get His work done. You can count on it. He's the sovereign of heaven and earth. He'll accomplish all His good pleasure. He'll get His work done. But you lose when you refuse to obey. You lose when you love something above Him that you will not surrender. Nobody loses in the equation but you. So, we all know how to slim down on the implications of the Word of God, right? Trust me, I've been to seminary. <laughs> I've read a lot of books about it. You know, how to explain away what God's clearly saying. Yeah, a PhD can, can do a lot of damage. Just one thing I've always loved to say is, you know, just find you a competent seven-year-old who'll just preach what it says. Right? It takes a PhD to mess up God's Word. It's very clear. It's very clear. So, Are you slimming down? Are you dumbing down? Are you downsizing what God has called you to, to do? Downsized obedience is no obedience at all. And again, I want to make this clear. I'm not calling, I, I'm not calling you to something you can't do. You can't be sinless. I know that. I know that about myself. But you know what? When I understand what God is saying to me, I can obey or disobey. I know that. And that's really the challenge for us this evening as we look at the text. We find the disciples here in John 21 after the glorious events that have just transpired. He's out of the grave. He's out. <laughs> He's walking around. Right? He's walking around. It's been a tough couple of weeks for them, but He's out of the grave. Matthew 28 tells us clearly that Jesus had instructed the disciples to go to a designated mountain in Galilee. This is what Jesus had instructed them to do. So in John 21, we find them on the mountain, right? Oh, wait. I remember Rohan reading the text. Why aren't they on the mountain? They're doing something else. Why are they not on the mountain? This is the question that you and I have to apply to ourselves, right? <laughs> are you following Christ? Really? Following Christ. So, I think it appears. And I think I'm right. I, I won't be completely dogmatic. But I think it's clear. These guys are taking their first step back to their pre-Jesus life. And oh, can I tell you many stories as a pastor about this. People who seem to get excited about Jesus. 
You run into them 10 years later and they're nowhere with Jesus. They go to church when it's not too inconvenient, but that's the sum and substance of their so-called Christianity. It's a tragedy in the modern church. They're supposed to be on the mountain. How do we know they've not been on the mountain yet? Because verse 14, if you look over at verse 14, it'll tell us that this is the third time that they've encountered Jesus, the risen Jesus. We know the first two times it was in Jerusalem, in the, in the closed room, one time without Thomas, one time with Thomas. This is the third time. They haven't been to the mountain yet. They're supposed to be waiting for Christ in the mountain, but hey, you know, this disciple stuff is a whole, whole lot more intense than I thought it was going to be. Peter's gone back to his profession. This is my view on the text. Peter has gone back to his profession. He failed. He failed miserably. He's a lot more comfortable fishing. Right? And some of you are a lot more comfortable in your, in your little box. You know, the little box that we all tend to Construct for ourselves. You know what's going to happen if you're a believer. If you're a true believer, you know what's going to happen. He will call you out of the box every time. If you don't know this about Him, then I don't think you've met Him yet. He will call you out of the box. He's going to call you out of the box. He will do that. So we know they haven't been to the mountain. It's clear from verse 14. We know they have not been to the mountain. Verse 2, we see that there are seven disciples that have gone fishing. Um, we don't know where the other four are. Maybe they're on the mountain. They're probably on the mountain. They're supposed to be there. Right? we got seven guys going fishing. Peter says, hey, I'm going to go fishing. And the rest of the guys say, yeah, let's, uh, let's do that. Let's go fishing. And I do want to say, I'm not dogmatic here, but I, I believe this is the flow and the power of the text. They're starting to edge back to their old way of life. Because we know, don't we, as born-again believers, if you walk with Jesus, if you really walk with Jesus, it's going to cost. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be trauma. There's going to be heartache. There are going to be tears. People will hate us, as He told them earlier in the Gospel of John. They will shun us. They will leave us. They will forsake us. Just like they did Him. It's part of being a Christian. But what I want to challenge you to do, I want you to think about this as I preach. You know the great text where Jesus is walking on the water, right? <laughs> and they see Him on the water and they're afraid. But what, is, what does Peter say in that moment? We have a shining moment of faith of, uh, with Peter here. What, is, what did Peter say in the moment when Jesus was walking on the water? Does anybody remember? Me Bid me come! This is, this is what I want you to be praying for the rest of your life till you die. Bid me come, Lord Jesus. Bid me come. That's a prayer that I know God delights in and He will certainly answer. Bid me come. I don't want to be guilty of sitting in the spiritual recliner, right? I don't want to get comfortable with my Christianity. I always want to be pushing the envelope with Jesus, right? And I think these guys have decided, I know how to fish. 
I'm a terrible disciple, but I know how to fish, so I'm going to go fish. I know how to do that. I can manage that. Right? I can manage that. You know, this is a thing I've seen many, many times. People won't go with Jesus. You can't manage it, man. He manages it. You can't manage it. It's way beyond your control and power to walk like a true believer and to radically obey Him. So, I'm thinking, Peter's thinking, maybe I could just be a good Christian fisherman. Right? I could just be a good Christian fisherman and I'll take my good Christian men and we'll be good Christian fishermen. Well, is there anything wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that unless God's told you to be on the mountain because you're going to be fishers of men. Right? Then it's sin. Then it's sin to not obey the Lord when He's clearly given you a directive and you know in your heart. If you're born again, you know in your heart when you've heard from God. You know when He's convicting you. You know it. And of course, that's where rationalization comes in. Surely not that. Surely He hasn't called me to that. Surely He's not calling me to give that up. Surely He's not calling me to forsake that. Yeah. They could be good Christian fishermen. But that's not what God has called them to do. So tell me, how is your walk with Jesus? Are you living out your faith? And please, don't tell me. Yeah, I go to church sometime. Don't tell me that. I want to hear about your faith. I want to hear about how it's real in your life. I want to hear how it's tangible and visible and, and, and obvious to everyone in your orbit. Tell me about that. I don't... Yeah, you should come to church, of course, but... That cannot be the sub and substance of your Christianity. Don't tell me I go to church. I want to know about your faith. I want to know about how you follow God. Because at the end of the day, beloved, this is what God is concerned about. Yeah, it's great if you come to church. But if that's all your Christianity is, you haven't, you haven't learned very much about Christianity. We haven't learned much about it. So, somewhere along the way, they, they started to downsize and rationalize about this disciple thing. It's a little bit uncomfortable. It's way outside the box. It's starting to cost. It's inconvenient and it's unmanageable. <laughs> okay? It's unmanageable. You can't manage God. You can't manage God. You have to open your hands and let go. You cannot manage God. Ergo, if you claim to be His, you cannot manage your own life independently of what He's calling you to do. You are wholly dependent upon God in every possible way. Every possible conceivable way. Uh, one of my favorite deceased theologians, R.C. Sproul, American theologian, he said, I heard him say one time, you know, you walk into your average church and you just find a bunch of bored Christians. Well, this is an oxymoron. If you're a bored Christian, you're not paying any attention. And I don't think you're a Christian. You might be culturally Christian. I don't think you've seen him. I don't think you know him. I don't think you love him. And listen, if you love him and you're following him, 
You will not be bored. You will not be bored. And if you are bored, then go home and get it worked out with God. There's something seriously wrong with your profession of faith. There's something utterly lacking in your walk with God. Don't downsize what God has called you to do. I love how Francis Chan says this. I love Francis Chan. I hope he hasn't said anything heretical. Uh, you know, I don't read everything he says, but you know, sometimes you, you love a guy and then you find out he says something goofy and you go, what? So, I don't think he has. Hopefully he hasn't. But I love what he says here. He says, obedience is not simply showing up to church once a week and, I love this, trying not to cuss too much. This is the definition of Christianity for many people in America. I don't know about your country. I know my own country. I know my own culture. That's as big as it gets. I try to go to church when I can. I try not to cuss. It's like, seriously? Don't insult God. And that's an insult to God. Just, you know, go do something else. But don't insult God. God, you know when Jesus says, follow me, He's asking for your whole life. That's just the truth, beloved. So, as we've seen the last few weeks, this is, I am in the manger. I am on the cross. I am in the tomb. And I am, has come to recover his men. Don't you love this about God? Don't you love this about God? He comes to restore his men. I'm sure he's done this in your life. (laughs) He's done this in my life. You have to love it. I do believe Peter and the boys are downsizing their call of God in their life. But here's the truth of the matter. You cannot stuff Jesus Christ into your old life. If you think you can, you've misunderstood. You cannot just take Jesus and stuff Him into your own life and add Him to your old life. It doesn't work that way. You have a new life. You belong to Him. You're supposed to, He's all in with you and you're supposed to be all in with Him. If you're not all in with Him, it's not Christianity. It's something else. Something that is a stench in the nostrils of God. You know, this is why Jesus says, man, you know, the lukewarm, I'm, the lukewarm, I'm going to vomit them out of my mouth. The lukewarm have nothing in common with biblical Christianity. You can't know Jesus Christ and be lukewarm. It's an oxymoron. You, you can't know Him and be lukewarm about Him. Verses 4 and 5 here. Um, how did these guys do? trying to go back to their old vocation. How did they do? (laughs) They didn't catch anything. I think this is a huge lesson for us. If you want to try to go back, if you want to back up from Jesus, there'll be no ultimate eternal profit in your life. There'll be no ultimate profit 
in your life. You will have wasted your life. These guys are professional. They're even nice, Christian, non-cussing fishermen. These guys, they didn't catch anything. God is sovereign. God ordered all the fish out of that part of the lake. Right? They couldn't catch anything. You think you can, you know, fool God and play a game, a religious game with God and then kind of slip off and do something else and He's going to profit you in it? Forget about it. It's not going to happen. I think this is one of the subtexts in this account. They don't catch anything. You cannot disobey God and think that you will prosper in any possible way. I don't care how much you don't cuss. And Jesus comes to His men. I love this about the Lord. If you know Him well, you understand. He comes to His men, not with a rod, but He comes with great love and compassion. What, uh, what's that beautiful text in Hebrews 12, 6-8? What is it? About discipline? If you belong to Him, what? He's going to discipline you. If He doesn't discipline you, what are we? Illegitimate. But He's not an illegitimate God. He's a competent God, a legitimate God, a legitimate Father. He comes to His children. Yes, sometimes with a rod, and sometimes He just lovingly comes. That's His prerogative. That is His prerogative. Jesus comes to lovingly restore His men who are inching their way back to their old way of life. He's going to teach them there's no profit in disobedience. He's going to teach them that you cannot domesticate biblical Christianity. He's going to teach them that you cannot return to your old way of life. He's going to lovingly teach him these things. Verses 5 and 6. Did you catch anything? <laughs> God says, did you catch anything? Verse 6. And they answered, of course, no. And he says, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat and you will find a catch. And John thinks to himself, I've seen this before. I've seen this before. You guys may remember when he called uh, the fishermen to himself in Luke chapter 5. <laughs> the same thing had happened. They'd been fishing. They had not caught anything. And uh, Jesus said, you know, cast your net one more time. And they did, and they, they caught a, at a tremendous catch. And what did Jesus say to them at that time? Which is very pointed here. From now on, you will be catching men. The backhanded implication is, why are you back in your boat? I've called you to something much more weightier, something much more important, something that will fill your heart with joy. Let me, let me tell you, as an old man, I'll tell you, if you disobey God, there'll be no joy in your life. I don't care what you try to do, there'll be no joy in your life. There'll be no vibrancy in your soul. If you're in disobedience to God, 
They were supposed to be on the mountain waiting on Him. They're not going to catch any fish. There's this beautiful, beautiful parallel here. Verse 7. They caught a great haul. Verse 6, verse 7. And the disciple whom Jesus loved, this is John, said to Peter, what does he say? It's God! It's the Lord Jesus! It's Him! And what does Peter do? I don't understand. He puts some, a cloak on and he jumps in the water. I'm thinking, I don't understand that part. But he puts his cloak on and he jumps in the water, 100 yards out, and he swims to get to Christ. Y'all, forget the guys working. Forget the guys trying to haul in this giant haul. You know, it's Jesus, man. And He wants Him, man. He wants to get to Jesus as fast as He can. You may understand this inclination. Peter's sideways with Jesus and he knows it. He knows he's supposed to be on the mountain. But Jesus has caught him fishing. And Jesus has come. And you know what? Peter can't wait to get this sorted out. Right? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> you know, unless you're obstinate and hard-hearted. He can't wait to get this sorted out. So he jumps in and he swims to Jesus. He wants to get there as fast as he can. Yeah. He wants to get there just as quickly as he can. So God comes to discipline His men. Especially Peter. He's the leader. And again, he doesn't come with the rod. He comes with great tenderness. Verses 12. Let's pick up here verses... Uh, well, verse 10, Jesus says, Bring some of the fish that you've caught, and I'll put it here. And verses 12 and 13 tell us that uh, come, Jesus says, Come and have breakfast. And they weren't sure, but they, they did not question, but they, they knew it was Him. He apparently has some difference in His appearance since His resurrection. And verse 13, I love this verse. Jesus came and took the bread and He gave it to them and the fish likewise. Why do you think I love this verse? God is serving His creatures. I am. Why doesn't He just have an angel do it? This is how God is. God serves breakfast to His men. Now, I think if you just read over that, that's a foolish thing to do. God served His not-so-impressive creatures who He's caught in sin. Breakfast. I love it. The infinite condescension of Jesus Christ the one who takes on flesh, he's born in a stable. He works as a humble carpenter, no place to lay his head. He washes the, the, the dirty feet of men. He's scourged and he's crucified and he's serving breakfast. <laughs> who is a God like that? He comes again to restore his men who he has caught and sin. And just I've already mentioned it, but verse 14, this is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after He was raised from the dead. 
So, verses 15 to 17, the famous text, you know it. He comes to Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Peter said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him again, a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. Verse 17. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he asked him again. Now, you can't see it in the English, but there's a change in the Greek here. And I'm not going to make a big point out of it. But Jesus was saying, Do you love me supremely? And now he says, Well, do you, do you love me, you know, on this human level? On the third time, he says, do you love me on the human level? And Peter's grieved. And Peter appeals to his omniscience. He says, you know I love you. I love this verse. Right? Right? I share this with you a lot. I love this verse. When I've... When nobody in the whole world can tell I'm a Christian, Jesus knows I'm one. <laughs> I've acted like a punk. Jesus knows I love Him. He knows I love Him. This is, my, this is one of my points of, of assurance in my own life. He knows that I love Him. Jesus says, do you love me more than these? There's a legitimate debate here about what He's talking about. Some scholars believe that He's talking about, do you love me more than these other men? Um, of course, because Peter had said, I, even if everyone else abandons you, I will not. So he'd made that um, profession. But I don't think that's what he's saying. I think Jesus is saying, do you love me more than your old life? Do you love me more than the boat and the nets and the fishing? Do you love me more than that, Peter? Now, this is a serious question for some of us. Okay? This is a real serious question for some of us. Do you love me more than your comfortable lifestyle that you can manage? Do you love me more than that, Peter? Are you willing to take a risk with me? Do you love me like that, Peter? That's the question. Are you going back to your old life, Peter? Are you going to go with me, Peter? Do you love me like that so you could go with me, Peter? Do you trust me like that, Peter? That's what's happening here. Nothing wrong with fishing. I haven't called you to fish anymore. I called you out of fishing. Nothing wrong with fishing. But you've been called to something else. You're sinning. You know what I've called you to do. You know what it is. Do you love me more than your old life, your old career, your old orbit, and your old comfort zone? Do you love me more than all of that, Peter? We've talked a lot about it. What is the biblical litmus test for Loving God, what is it? It's always the same thing. It's obedience. 
Will you obey me, Peter? Will you obey me? It's always obedience. You know, it's not religion. It's not I go to church when it's not too inconvenient. It's not, it's not any of that. Will you obey me? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will disclose myself to you. That great promise. That great promise. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, John 10, and they follow me. This is what Christianity is. It's very simple. Peter, are you real? Will you follow me, Peter? That's what's going on. Do you love me more than your old life? Do you love me more than that, Peter? That's the question at hand. So, Jesus asked Peter three times if he loved him. And of course, there's a parallel here, isn't there? We know that he denied him three times. And isn't it gracious of God to give Peter the opportunity to recant his denials publicly in front of his colleagues? Peter says, Lord, you know I do. And I love his omniscience here. I love it. That's a big deal for us. Everyone in this room who knows Christ, it's a big deal that He knows we love Him because sometimes we act like we don't. We act like we've never heard of Him. So, what's, what does He say? Do you love me, Peter? Will you do what I told you to in the first place? Will you tend my sheep? Will you love my sheep? Will you take care of my sheep? This is what I called you to do at the very beginning. Don't you remember? Yeah, I know you crashed and burned. Yeah, I know you can't do it on your own. But will you trust me to enable you? What's Peter going to do in a, you know, a couple of weeks from now? I don't know how long it is. I didn't look at the timeline. But what's he going to do very soon? He's going to preach fearlessly before the Jews. Fearlessly! <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. He's not the old guy anymore. The Spirit of God has come. Beloved, you have all you need. Listen, if you don't think you can follow Jesus, that's blasphemy because you have all you need. You have the Word of God. You have the Spirit of God. You have, you know, the sovereignty of God. You have all you need. In fact, you have more than you need. You're loaded up. You're loaded up. You can't fail in any real sense. You can't fail. Now, you, you may go through some hard times and the world may think you're a failure, but you can't fail if you're following Christ. It doesn't matter what the world thinks. You're loaded up with all that you need. Peter, do you love me? Even if it's going to get costly? Verses 18 and 19. When you grow old... You will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Verse 19, Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Someone tell me what the last two words in verse 19 are. Verse 19, what does Jesus say? Do you love me, Peter? Then what does he say? 
follow me. And I don't know about your translation. I have the NASB, which is the most literal. It has an exclamation point. Follow me, Peter. And Jesus is saying that to some of you tonight. Follow me. Don't just come to church. Yeah, come to church. You should come to church. You should love to come to church. Follow me in the world. Follow me. That's what it's all about. You got to love John 21, man. You got to love John 21. You know, this is where the rubber hits the road for us. Do you love him? Will you walk with him? Will you obey him? I heard someone preach on this. It didn't occur to me on my own, but I heard someone preaching on this that this was good news for Peter. Why is this good news for Peter? What he's just told him about his death. You, you, at first you think, I don't want to know that. You know, I, I, I don't want to know that. But, but why is it? Why is this good news? He's going to finish. He's going to finish with Christ. Right? He's going to finish strong. They're going to kill him. He's going to be crucified. That's, that's what it means. That's the euphemism for crucifixion. He will be crucified. Church tradition tells us Peter was crucified upside down, refusing to be crucified in the same manner that Jesus was. This is good news. I'm going to finish. I'm not going to be that failure anymore. I've got the, I'll have the Holy Spirit and I'll finish with God. I love this. I think that's beautiful. You know, Jesus says... Uh, you know what he says in the Gospels that people hate. You got to love me more than father, mother, sister, brother. You got to love me more than your own life. You don't often hear these texts preached. But this is what God says, man. Yeah, this is the kind of love, the kind of commitment, the kind of devotion that is being talked about here. Verse 20, 21, Peter says, hey, what about this guy? He's talking about John. What about John? Um, what about him? Verse 21, Jesus said to him, oh, uh, if I want him to remain until uh, I come, what is that to you? You follow me. I love this. You know, we always seem to have some kind of macabre interest in what God's doing in someone else's life. Well, you know, his ministry's better, or, or they're rich and I'm poor, or they have more opportunity, or... You know, that Christian is, it's different than, than it is with me. What, is, what does God say right here? Shut up! That's not your business. That's my business. Your business is what? You tell me. Your business is what? Follow me. Stop comparing yourself with everybody else. That's wasted time. You could be worshiping. You could be studying. You could be praying. Instead of worrying about what God's doing over there, instead of what He's doing with you. Man, just look at God. Just look at God. You got to get in that. You got to find your rhythm where you can look at God. You're just looking at God, and circumstance, circumstances come and they go. And sometimes they're really hard. Hey, I'm an old dude. I can tell you that's the truth. But you've got to find that way to just look at God and let the circumstance roll off your back like water off a duck. So stop evaluating. Stop auditing what God is doing in someone else's life. This is God's business. This is not your business. This is what <laughs> Jesus says to Peter. So, 
the question is for you and me, after, after a chapter like this, do I love Him and will I follow Him? That's a big deal. Some of you, some of you, are, some of you are hopelessly in love with Jesus and you're on His heels. You are the happiest possible person on the planet. There may be some of you who have become distracted. You may be, you may be a little bit like the seven here. It's just easier to stay in my box. I'm just going to stay in the box. You will find no joy in the box. You will find no profit in the box. You lose. Nobody else loses. You lose in the box. Will you do what Jesus has commanded you to do? Or are you consciously and willfully disobeying Him? Are you downsizing the implications of God's Word in your life? Are you a bored Christian? Well, here's the solution. Follow Christ. Follow Christ. I couldn't help but think of... Uh, I'm done. I couldn't help but think of uh, that great text you know, where Mary pours out the perfume on Jesus, just 15,000 euros, just am. You know. Why would any sane person do that? <laughs> it's love, man. It's love. So this is a question for all of us. Am I in that love relationship with Jesus Christ? And will I follow Him? Let's pray together. Lord, what a beautiful text. <clears throat> Thank You, Father, that You restore us. You always come. Because You are a competent Father, a legitimate Father. You come and You discipline. Sometimes with the rod. Sometimes with great tenderness. Thank You, Father, that You are faithful in this regard. Because the very worst thing that can happen in our lives is that we wander off. Is that we set down. Is that we begin to rationalize. That we begin to make excuses. That we begin to be, uh, become afraid and fearful to be bold in the world. Lord, we don't want that. We don't want to waste our lives. We, want, we don't want to get to the end and just be someone else who's compromised. We don't want to be that guy. So Lord, we pray for Your help. You know that we are weak and frail and again, easily distracted. Father, we ask for Your help. Thank You for this loving picture of how You restore Your own. And Lord, there may be some here tonight that need to be restored. We thank You for this encouraging Word. And Lord God, we pray. We pray that we will finish. Lord, we want to finish. We want to finish. We do love You. We make that profession. We do love You. And Lord God, by your strength and power, we will follow You. Help us. Help us, we pray. 
In the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand together. I don't have a band, so I'll just read a benediction and we'll be dismissed. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. So go do your job. Go do your job. Let every person in your orbit see that you love Him. Go do it. Have a great week. Hope to see you next time.